struggles that he's facing. And the reality and the realization, hopefully for us, that David's a man just like everybody else. He's a man just like us. He's a man who has issues. He has problems. He's going to do well and have victory. He's going to mess up and have defeat. He's going to give in to the temptation to gratify his flesh. And other times he's going to stand strong with the Lord. The key, remember, as we look at this and as we want to really grasp the idea, what does it look like, a man or woman after God's own heart? That key is that the Lord remains central. Now we may put ourselves in the throne occasionally and take off running down the road. But when, when that's recognized, when there's a, that moment of clarity, when we say, whoa, how did I get here? What am I doing? What did David do? He'd go right to the Lord. Right to the Lord, oh Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. He'd quick to take responsibility, to confess his sins, to just ask God to, to feel that place within his life again so that he can go forward and be what God's called him to be and who God's called him to be. So as we look at what the scripture lays out for us, and as we begin to, to take it apart, we're going to see tonight in chapter 25, David struggling with a desire to do what he wants. And maybe not so much, I don't know, leaning into the Lord. Up until this time, keep in mind, Saul's been checking spears, right? Saul came after him, David cut the hem of his garment, and... We had that thing where Saul said, you know, I was wrong and Saul goes back home. And, and all that time, David's been pretty much on, on task, right? He's been walking with the Lord. He's been fulfilling that which God wants him to do. He's been doing those things. So we're excited to see what it is that he's going to uh, continue to lead us in and guide us in as we take a look at what Scripture has for us tonight. Now, Gerald, did you guys want to talk right now? You got time. Gerald and Mary Lee are here. So give them a hand. They're going to share a little bit about Malawi. Some exciting things just for a couple of minutes to give us kind of an update on uh, what's happening. How are you?
things he's starting. So we're excited about that, excited about the, the possibility of uh, more church plants and opportunities to be a part of those things. And we'll make sure we want to lift those up in prayer as well. As we begin tonight, let's take a look. First Samuel chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. Oh, it's around my head. There, now I can see. <clears throat> then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him in his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So much in that little verse that we really want to take a look at. For one, Samuel's why we started this book, right? Remember, there was a woman crying out to the Lord to have a child, promising to give that child to the Lord, that God would use him in a mighty way. And, and the Lord answered her prayer. And that little boy was Samuel, right? And Samuel went and was raised by Eli. Remember, Eli wasn't such a good dad, had bad, bad seed kids already, problem children. But God was with him. And Hannah turned him over and, and allowed God to do his work in Samuel's life. And, and the Lord raises up Samuel to be the last judge of the nation of Israel. And he leads the nation of Israel through prayer. And it's interesting as we begin to, to look through the scriptures and see the things that, that Samuel did. You know, Samuel begins the foundation for what becomes uh, the Levitical service in the sanctuary. He begins to put those things together. We read about that in First Chronicles. We also see that Samuel began to collect treasures for a temple. And we'll read about that as we come to the time when Solomon uh, is building that same temple. We see that he, he is continuing to, to go out in intercessory prayer for the nation of Israel. And for a king who had turned his back. And anointing the new king that was to come and trying to be that spiritual guide and leader. You remember when David left Saul, where did he run to? Ramah, where Samuel was. He wants to find out, Samuel, what did you do to me? You anointed me with oil, you, you prayed over me, you said I'm going to be the next king. And, and my life has kind of been a downward spiral ever since. And Samuel would offer that guidance and counsel. And as Samuel goes, it's a great time of mourning for the nation. But as Samuel passes, you have a, a nation struggling between two kings. One rejected by the Lord. And one that's going to be known for his heart and repentance unto the Lord. We're going to see that these two guys, going to, David coming in and Saul going out, it's going to unite the nation, tie them together. Bring them back into that rightful place and usher in a time of prosperity that Israel will never know again until the son of David comes when Jesus Christ returns. And as we see all these things on the board, the scripture tells us, one, Samuel died, and two, David didn't go to the funeral. Well, he couldn't go to the funeral because the king of the, of the, of the nations hunting him. And so he's going to leave from the stronghold. Remember the stronghold there near Masada? He's going to leave from there and go a hundred miles away. Without a truck, he's just going to go 
a hundred miles, travels that hundred miles over to, to Paran. And it says, now as he goes that way, in verse 2 it says, Now there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And the name of that man was Nabal. Nabal, he's, a, he's a, quite the character in the scripture as we begin to study and see what God has for us tonight. He was a wealthy man, wealth really beyond his, his needs. He had been blessed, but he is a very obstinate, selfish, and self-focused man. His eyes wholly upon himself. He's entering into a time like harvest time. He's entering into a time where he's shearing the sheep, a big party. It's a time where they're going to cash in that, that crop for the sheep. And he's going to uh, make whatever money he's going to make, have a giant feast, invite all his friends. It's a great time of, of celebration there for Nabal. And it says the name of the man's wife was Abigail. Nabal means fool. Abigail means beloved of the father. He goes on and says, Now Nabal and Abigail, uh, she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. But he was of the house of Caleb. One of Caleb's offspring. And we remember Caleb, right? Everybody with me on Caleb? Caleb's uh, one of the guys who, when uh, he was 80 years old, wanted to conquer one more mountain. He wanted to take on one more giant. He wanted one more opportunity in Hebron to, to conquer the land, to take the land in that place, and to, to be that voice. And we see with, with Caleb this godly heritage that didn't pass down to Nabal. Nabal's a harsh man. Do you know when we look at Scripture and we study the Scripture, it's important that we realize God doesn't have any grandkids. He only has sons and daughters. We each have to have a relationship with the Lord. Our children, our children's children, grandchildren, they need to have that relationship with Him. Well, the Scripture goes on to tell us, as we continue, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you will say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them while they were in Carmel. So ask your young men, they will tell you, Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please, give us whatever comes to your hand to your servants, and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to these words in the name of David and waited. So here's what happened. David's guys, you know, he's, he's hiding, he's running, he's, he's fleeing from Saul. And in the meantime, he's also being that rescuer for the nation of Israel. Remember last week we studied how he was uh, rescuing the towns that were in trouble, the Philistines that had been coming against him. And so we see David fulfilling the same role. What we're going to see happen as we continue in the chapter, that the shepherds are out, they're a little bit uptight about some of the things that they're facing so they're going to come together with david's men so as david's men go through the land as david's men continue to 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 pass through that area where the the shepherds are feeding the flocks he's offering or giving unto them protection he's watching out for them 
He's watching out for him. This is not a case where David's going and trying to pull protection money like the mob. You know, hey, give me some protection money or, you know, we'll put concrete boots on you, throw you in the river. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, listen, we took care of your guys and you're about to have this big feast. David's got 600 men and he's got to find a way to feed them and take care of them. He wants to bring them. He wants to bring his guys to the feast, be a part of it, that, that he can be there with them and, and be able to partake in some of the, the fruits of the labors for which David and his men provided help. So he asked him, and look at the spirit in which he asks. He goes and he says, hey, will you, peace be to you. He's not bringing the, this demand, he's just asking for the common courtesy of the day. It was not an uncommon thing. So he asks his men deliver the message and they stand and they wait. And look at verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. First thing he says is, Who's David? I don't really care about David. And there's lots of slaves who have run away from their master. Now keep in mind what happened with David. Right? He's fleeing from Saul. Nabal knows that David at one time had, had served Saul, at one time had come alongside and done these things. So the first thing he does is he attacks him in an area in his life where David is sensitive. He's sensitive in that area. Now, when Saul attacks David, how does David respond? When Saul throws that spear and sticks it into the wall, David doesn't pull the spear out and throw it back, right? He just goes away, withdraws, flees. He won't touch God's anointed. But here we come into this fool, this guy whose name means fool, and he's throwing spears of an entirely different nature. David was okay with the physical spear, but now he's throwing the spear of his words. David, you're just a slave who ran away from your master. Who are you? Who are you that I should give you anything, that I should serve you? So first, he attacks an area in David's life wherein he's, he's sensitive. But then he goes on. He doesn't just stop there in verse 11. He says, Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men? I do not know where they are from. And look at that verse. How many me, my, and I's are in there? Shall... I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men whom I do not know where they are from. He sounds very much like Nebuchadnezzar. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar walked outside and he looked over his kingdom and he said, Wow, look at this kingdom which I have built. And God strikes him with madness to show him that it's not a kingdom that he built. It's a blessing that God gave. We always want to have eyes to see that in our life. But here we have a man whose name means fool, who's throwing spears of a verbal nature at David. He throws a, a first the spear of, a, you're just a slave who's run away from his master. The second spear that he's going to throw to him, I, I don't even know where these guys are from. The Bible tells us, right, who were the people that came to David? The guys that were up, unhappy with life, right? The guys who were wanted because they owed taxes. The guys who were in debt and couldn't pay. The guys who had to flee from their home. It's not exactly the crew of who's who 
that David has with him. So he attacks David in his background. You're just a slave fleeing from your master. And he attacks the background of his men. Who are these guys? They're just a bunch of crooks. A bunch of criminals. The Pharisees would have said it like this. He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Do you remember what Jesus said in response? We studied it on Sunday, right? When he said to them, Behold, tax collectors and sinners will enter into the kingdom of heaven before you. For they repent. And when you saw their repentance in John's preaching, and you saw their changed lives, you didn't repent. And the same here, we see David, these men gathering around him of all sorts and sizes, a discount thrown out, outcast from society gathered around David. So Nabal attacks David. He says, David, man, you're just a slave who run away from his master and your men are a bunch of no count, regenerate, unregenerated, just losers, man. No, I'm not giving you nothing. So the men are standing there receiving this word from Nabal. So David's young men in verse 12 turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told, all, told him all these things. They tell David. Now listen to David's words, verse 13. David said to his men, Every man gird on your sword. So every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. So David, at hearing... The words of Nabal says, put on your sword, we're going to go kill him. Does that sound like the same guy who was sitting there playing music to Saul? That when Saul threw a spear, he... You know, for each of us, when we're facing certain struggles in our life, there are certain struggles or attacks from the enemy that when they come, we're, we're pretty able to, to stand, be resilient against those things. We see, we recognize them as an attack from the enemy. But there are other things. The Bible tells in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, doesn't it, that our enemy is a roaring lion, Satan, seeking whom he will devour? He's a sneaky little guy. He's not just going to come constantly with the same assault. He may come a few times with this frontal assault that you're prepared for, and, and you have victory perhaps in that. And then he's going to come around the side with a Nabal. You know, he's just going to call you names. He's just going to tell you your friends are a loser and you're a slave who's escaped from his master. Well, who, who are you? Well, aren't those the very same things David would say in the Psalms? In Psalm 22, speaking of the words that Jesus would say from the cross, he says, I am a worm and no man. It's not as though these words would not be penned or flow from David's pen as he writes the Psalms. And this attitude wouldn't come that, that who am I? Apart from God, I'm nothing. But when somebody else tells you that, you're nothing. You really find out if you believe all the stuff that you're saying. Right? They, don't they say that the true test of a servant is what happens when you're treated like one? Does he know who I am? Can't you hear David saying that? Doesn't he know who I am? Who I'm going to be? Get your sword. It's a totally different attitude. It's a totally different 
flow of the Spirit within David. And you can, the men are just chomping at the bit, right? Because, you know, everybody likes to go take care of somebody who's, who's talking about them, saying things about them. Here, his attitude is, let's go. Verse 14 tells us then, one of the young men, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. That word revile in Hebrew is a picture of a shrieking bird descending on prey. You know, screaming as it comes out, like that hawk coming down to, to snatch up uh, somebody's little poodle in their backyard. <laughs> so as he's screeching, this is, how he, he, this is how he treats David's men. But when I see this word, immediately when I read this word, it reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 2. Just hold your finger here. Here he's been reviled. He's been reviled, screeched against. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Just flip to the right. You know the drill. If you get to Revelation, go left. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. In verse 20 it says, For what credit is it? If when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. I, I mean, you've got to chew on that for a minute. He says, it's no big deal if you suffer for doing wrong. You ought to suffer for doing wrong. But when you suffer for doing good... Now, isn't that kind of what's going on with David right now? I mean, he'd done good by Nabal. He took care of Nabal's guys. He took care of his stuff. And so, but now for doing good, he's being reviled. He's being talked to like that screeching bird, you know, coming down on him. Screeching at him these things. Well, it says in verse 21, for to this you were called. See, God called you to have that person in your life right now who's a screeching bird god called you to have a nabel god called you to have those experiences in your life where you're going to struggle against that sneaky roaring lion who's come around not from a frontal assault but he's flanking you and coming from your side and it's not that spear, that physical spear coming. Now, it's, it's just the words. You know what he said? Can you, how many times have we uttered those same words? We're just, we're just like David. Can you believe what he said about me? Why, I ought to. Somebody ought to tell him, give him a piece of my mind. I just want to let him know. <laughs> I was sharing with, with Fritz and Jody. I got my first piece of idaho hate mail on on facebook no none of you can see it because it's already gone but it was interesting because it was uh, uh actually a, a relationship friendship i guess uh, that happened a couple of years ago and i don't know i don't know why people do what they do but i got a phone call from somebody in the church saying hey somebody wrote this on <clears throat> on our the church site so, and it was about me, so I said, well, what did they say? And so she read it out to me. She's very upset. 
what are we going to do? You know, let's, let's go toilet paper his house or something. We've got to do something. We can't just let him say stuff like that. And I said, I know what we should do. Let's go, let's go on his, on his uh, site and just say, hey, brother, we love you. You know, have a nice day. Hope things are going better for you. Sorry if we hurt you. Why, why we got to play? We don't have to play. We don't have to be a part. Just because Nabal or some fool wants to say something, we don't have to dive in. And the Lord says, to this you were called. There are going to be those things. Those things are going to happen. No way around it. Sooner or later, you're going to see him. But not only does he say that, listen, this is what he says. He also says, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Christ left us an example of what to do when we do good and suffer for it. So what's he tell us? Verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You remember as we as we it seems like this has been coming up in the in the various studies that we've been going through lately. The idea is that Christ committed himself into the hands of the Father and basically said, Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. Whatever enters in passes through the hands of a God who loves him. The Lord, the, the, the Lord himself. In, in, in Philippians chapter 2, the scripture tells us that he, he emptied himself. He set aside his royalty. He set aside the, his right to be worshipped by all creation as almighty God in the flesh. And he entrusted himself into the hands of the Father. And the scripture says in Peter, he showed us how to walk. That we choose to commit those things that are done to us to the Lord. Pastor Gerald probably gave me the the incredible advice in regard to this. Coming from a bigger church, he's had a whole lot more hate mail than I have. So, but he told me one time, he said... Don't get in the business of defending yourself or defending yourself is all you're going to do. Just commit yourself to the hands of God. You judge, Lord, between me and him. Isn't that what David did with Saul? But now he's got 400 armed men riding down to slaughter Nabal and his whole family because of what he said. You see, we have to be careful because men after God's own heart can be hit from the flanks by an attack from the enemy. And when a spear flying won't get you into to the battle, somebody's saying something about you will. What'd they say? What'd they write? I'm reminded about Jesus' mother. You ever think about what life was like for her forever? I mean, I think about that. As a young girl called by the angel that she is going to be become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and the child that she bears is going to be the Messiah. What an incredible blessing. But what did everybody else think? Same thing Joseph thought, right? The Bible said Joseph thought to put her away quietly. That's because he was a righteous man. He didn't want to stone her and he actually cared about her. So he was just going to quietly, you know, 
put her away and, and go on with his life. And I'm reminded at one time, I think Mary comes to Jesus as he's entering into his, his earthly ministry and she, he's come to a wedding and she wants to see him vindicate her. Show everybody here at this wedding that everything I said was true. Show them that I really didn't, I wasn't this little slut who ran around and got pregnant before she got married. Show them all that stuff that people have been saying for years. Show them that none of that stuff is true. But defend me. And Jesus wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. She said to him, to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And he provided the wine, but nobody knew where it came from but the servants. And it didn't vindicate her name. I wonder how many times if we look back at the the lives of believers who are doing what God's called them to do and trying to be who God's called them to be and, and the people, the things people have said about them. How many times... How many times the enemy has used that to derail a work? Who cares what people said? Doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, what's God saying? How's God calling? All the way to the cross, I'm sure Mary longed for that opportunity for there to be the truth known but that was part of her cross to bear if you will it was part of the walk she would have it would never leave Jesus either right they called him a bastard all the way through his ministry the Pharisees would say to him at least we know who our father is what do you think they're saying yeah, he, he knows. Jesus knows who his father is. There's that time when there's that reviling. But what did Jesus do? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was, when he was hurt, he didn't threaten. When he suffered, he didn't say, let's get 400 guys and go down there and just straighten it out. He just walked the path that God had in front of him. And that's what... David is going to learn in this journey. On one side of Nabal, you have a crazy king who can't hear the voice of the Lord anymore because he's so caught up in himself in disobedience. On the other side, you have a hot-headed one who's so mad at this rich fool that he's about to murder an entire family. That's how quick it can turn. And caught between the fool and the hot-headed guy is Abigail. Abigail. Sometimes people wonder how Abigail ended up with Nabal. But it's not that hard to figure out, is it? Her parents looked around and said, look at this guy. He's got money. He's rich. He's got everything he needs. What better place for her to, to, to... a husband for her to have. So they were arranged marriages, right? They didn't date, go to dances, fall in love, get married. And you're thinking, that's so barbaric. Yeah. 
Their divorce rate is a lot better than ours is. So here she is with the fool. Harsh, ungodly husband. And she is going to save him. That's kind of amazing. Isn't it? All the, how many harsh words has he said to her in her life? How many harsh dealings has she had to do with him? And how she could be, she could just sit back and say, he deserves it. Let David ride through the camp. The Bible tells he's only going to kill all the men. So she's going to be okay. Man, just, my problems will all be over. I'll be free. Not only will I be free, some of this wealth I'll probably get to keep. I'll be rich and free. Man, that, that seems like the best of all possibilities. Well, here comes this guy to Abigail, and he says, Abigail, you're not going to believe what happened. It says in verse 15, the men were very good to us. Listen, these are the shepherds talking to her. The men were very good to us. We were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. He's saying, when he says we were not hurt, he means we weren't attacked. We weren't attacked by robbers or nothing. We were safe because we were with David's men. We camped with him. We hung out during that time. He kept us safe, man. They watched over us. In verse 16, they were like a wall to us by day and night. All the time we were with them keeping the sheep. So all the things David said was true. He was taking care of them. Now therefore, no one consider what you will do. For harm is determined for our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel. Yeah, that's, you guys know that's Bible speak, right? That's not the word he said. He, he called him a son of Belial. He called him worthless. A son of Belial later on in the New Testament is going to come to mean a son of the devil. That he has this attitude, this problem, this issue. And so he lays it out. Hey, he's worthless. He's, this guy is it's good for nothing. That one, or he goes on to say that one cannot even speak to him. He can't even talk to him. Proverbs 17, 12 says, It's better for you to come upon a bear who has lost her cubs than a fool in his folly. You ever come across a bear who has lost her cubs? That's bad. Just in case you're wondering. But the Bible says it's better to come across that than a fool in his folly. And that's who Nabal is. A fool in his folly. And his choice is going to cause grief for all these servants. And so they go to Abigail. And Abigail made haste. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. She don't go talk to him. If she goes and talks to Nabal, Nabal is probably going to say, Oh, don't worry about that. And everybody's going to die. So she knows what she needs to do. And she's doing it for herself. She's doing it for the other servants. And she's doing it for this husband that doesn't deserve any of it. Not a stitch of it. Scripture tells us, as we continue in 1 Peter chapter 3, wives, 
Submit to your husbands, even when they're ungodly. That by your chaste conduct, your conduct before them and before God, they may come to a relationship with the Lord. Right after Peter's talking about suffering, it's, it's God's plan in our life. We don't want to be like Christ. We don't want to revile and return. And you have this perfect picture of this woman, Abigail, who's probably been mistreated, who's a very wise person, a very beautiful woman. And she is going to do whatever she needs to do. To, to She don't have kids. But she's going to do what's right. She's not going to say, gosh, you know what? It's about time that this guy gets what's coming to him. Have you ever said, have you ever thought, you know what? This person needs is just a good beating. And if somebody would give them one, then it'd all be straightened out. You ever thought of that? Let me just tell you. From personal experience, a good beating does not change anybody. Ever. All it will do is frustrate you more. You could take them out behind the woodshed and beat the living snot out of them. If he is a fool, he will be a fool the next day. The Bible says in Proverbs that the stocks are wasted. The, the, the whooping is wasted on a fool in his folly. He will not receive correction. The Bible also tells us it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Well, chew on that for a second. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So when God calls for a woman who's in a marriage that's maybe like this one, married to a knucklehead who's who's, you know, not a, a very good guy at all. And the Bible says, just, just walk, live out your life before God. L- treat your husband, love your husband, respect your husband the way God calls you to, to honor the Lord as a gift unto him and see what God can do because it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Not the judgment. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, how many guys fell down on their knees and repented? Well, none. They all got killed, right? But when the Lord sent Jonah into Nineveh with a message that Jonah didn't want to give, right? Jonah goes into Nineveh. He doesn't want to tell the Ninevites anything. He walks in and he says, basically, you know, in a few days, God's going to kill you all unless you repent. Great message, Jonah. But the people repented. And God was merciful. Because the Bible tells that God has no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn, repent, and live. That's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God. And Abigail understands that. Abigail understands what's necessary to stop the situation in its tracks. Because if she doesn't do something, everybody's going to die. Nabal and all them servants... All that bloodshed, David has come, prepared to do it. 400 men, they're not going to have a problem. So Abigail heads out to meet him. It says, so it was that she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now, I don't know if you understand how amazing that is. But just in case maybe you go out and hunt. It seemed like a simple thing to go find that cow elk. 
Doesn't it? I mean, how hard can it be? There's a million of them in the hills that I'm hunting. A million cow elk. You ever seen a million cow elk someplace? That's a big number. That's a lot. And so it seemed like, I would go into this section where there's these million cow elk, and I could pretty much jump in any bush, and one of them ought to come out. But you know what? I pounded them hills day and night. And I never seen one of them. Not one of them. I seen lots of bull elk, but not one cow elk. And what I began to realize is I need just a little bit of luck to come across that cow elk at just the right time. And while you're thinking about that, think of Abigail in a panic trying to ride in the direction she's hoping David's coming from. What direction is David coming from? He can come from anywhere, couldn't he? Okay, he's in Paran. He's over here, but he'd come this way. He'd go around and come around behind us. He'd come from this side, that side. She gets on a donkey and just starts riding. And she starts riding and she goes down below this hill so she's not going up over the horizon. And she just happens to see David. you believe in coincidence? I don't. I believe in God wins. God led her because God wants to stop David too. You know, sometimes God wants to stop us. Sometimes that traffic jam is just to get you to slow down a little bit. Slow your roll. Where are you going in such a hurry? Where are you riding off to? What are you, what are you doing? What's this thought process that's going through your mind? Well, she comes across him. It says, now David had said, surely in vain. I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness. So nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. Oh, you see, he's just feeding the fuel. Ugh, getting mad. He's coming to get him. But we talked about Sunday. There's, there's three things, three alternatives he could have chosen that would have led him on the path of forgiveness. If he was willing. Remember we talked about him, the first thing is to, to sympathize. Philippians chapter 2, if there's any comfort. We, we do a word search. He's talking about sympathy. Is there any way for you to have sympathy for someone? Have it. How many times was Jesus moved with compassion? Over and over again we hear the, Jesus say, the scripture tells Jesus was moved with compassion. You have Ten lepers come up to Jesus, wanting to be cleansed. And Jesus was moved with compassion. And he heals all ten. And they take off to go show themselves to the priests, right? How many came back and said thanks? One. Now, does Jesus know only one's going to be thankful when he heals them? I bet he knows. I bet he knows that only one of these guys is going to be thankful. So why don't he just heal that guy and let the other guys rot? Oh, because he has sympathy for them. He's moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion. If we'll look at someone's life who we're harboring a grudge with, and if we're willing to look into their life with eyes open, we can find something that we can have compassion for, a way to find sympathy, to take us on the path of forgiveness, to sympathize with who they are today. They weren't always Nabal the fool. 
we can forgive. If we're willing to allow God to give us those eyes, eyes of compassion. The second thing that we need to do if we're going to be able to forgive is not to sit and stoke the fire with what they've done wrong. Oh, they've just done me. What does that do? No, it makes him hold tighter to that sword, right? He's ready to get him. He's ready to get him. What we need to learn to do is relinquish it to God. Give it to God. It's not yours. It's not yours to carry. You don't earn it. You don't even have the right to decide who gets forgiven. Who are you? Who says you should be forgiven? None of us deserve forgiven. But we receive forgiveness. In 1 Peter chapter 2, when we read it, remember Jesus committed himself to the Father who judges righteously. He relinquished. Can we relinquish that control? Can we, like Jesus, be able to do those same things, to have sympathy for that person who's done us wrong, to relinquish the control and, and follow Jesus' footsteps and give it to the Father? And the third thing, anticipate God's help. Have sympathy for the person who done you wrong, relinquish it to God, and anticipate God's help. John 14, 12, the scripture lays out for us. Jesus said, these things that you've seen me do, and greater you can do. Now, I'm not even talking about the time Jesus cursed a fig tree, or the time he walked on water, or when he spoke and made the storm stop. I'm just talking about when he was able to relinquish the hurts in his life to God and anticipate God's help. When Jesus on the cross said, Father, into your hands, what? I commit my spirit and entrusted himself into the hands of the Father. Are we able? The scripture tells us we are. All the things Jesus did, we can do. But we can't do what David's doing. And that is to chew on and regurgitate all the garbage somebody has said about you. That's why you won't be able to find that thing that guy wrote. So I'm not going to go read it 20 times. Once was enough. And you let it go. You don't need to chew on it. The Bible says whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, meditate on these things. That's where we need to focus our minds. But that's not what David's doing, right? In verse 22, May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male among all who belong to him by mourning. David's going to kill every guy. Every guy. Because Nabal said something to him. It's getting a little bit out of hand, isn't it? Did he seek the Lord? Does he go before the Lord and say, Lord, shall I attack? Isn't that what he did before? When the Philistines were attacking uh, uh, the, 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 it starts with a K, but anyways. When he was attacking them, you guys know. He goes to the Lord, Lord, shall I attack? And what did God say? Yeah, go. And then the men said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. It's not really our fight. And so he goes to the Lord again. Lord, shall I attack? And the Lord said, yeah, and he goes. Does he do that with Nabal? Does he seek the Lord at all? He's just off, right? He's hot-headed. He's following his temper. He reminds us of a different king right about now. Well, in verse 23, it says, Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. And she just goes, throws caution to the wind, falls down on the ground before David. 
if you will, and thrust her hands into the, into the hands of God. Who knows what David, David don't have to stop. She just puts herself down on the ground before him. She humbles herself. She humbles herself before David. The Bible says if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he'll lift you up. And God's going to do that perfect work. Because she's willing, because she's willing to come before him in this way. In verse 24, so she fell at his feet and she said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And the first thing we see her do is is not say, You know, my husband's a knucklehead. And she just says, "Let Let his sin be on me. Let his sin be on me. Man, what an what a incredible attitude from a wife who perhaps never felt love from this guy the whole time she'd been with him. But she's going to do what's right, what God wants her to do, what, what she can do to, to save these men. She's going to intercede. She's going to say, let this iniquity be upon me. Please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard the scoundrel Nabal, for his name is... So is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. She says, hey, Nabal's name means fool, and he's been foolish. And I didn't know any of this stuff was going on, and let me, she wants to make it right. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. Scripture says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. What? I will repay. It doesn't say, vengeance is mine, so go ahead and do what you think you ought to do. Vengeance is his. David is stopped by God because he's trying to avenge himself. Avenge himself for some horrific crime? No, from a fool who called them names. Who said he's just a servant boy escaped from his master and he's hanging out with a bunch of low-life degenerates. If that's the worst thing somebody ever said about you, don't strap on a sword and start hacking them in pieces. Go before the Lord. Go before the Lord. Choose God's path. Relinquish. Let it go. You don't have the right to carry it. Let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be like Nabal. Let them all be as foolish as he is. And now, this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. She reminds him. She knows he's anointed to be king. Most of the land knows David's going to be king one day. They knew the day he slew Goliath. They knew when they started singing the song, David has killed his tens of thousands. They knew that God's call was upon his life. But God has a direction he's going to take David to grow and develop the character that David needs. And God's going to do the same thing for you. And you could, I could guarantee you, you have at least one time with a Nabal. At least. Maybe 20 or 30 or 100 times. But at least one to help develop in that character your ability to say, I don't have to revile those who revile against me. 
I don't have to threaten those who cause me to suffer. Because I commit myself to the hands of God who loved me so much he died for me. He won't let anything come into my life that doesn't need to be there. So I need to trust him. I need to trust him and commit judgment to his hands. She calls for David to forgive. That's just what we talked about before, right? To be able to sympathize, to be able to relinquish, to let go of that anger, and to be able to anticipate God's help in in enabling you to forgive. Forgive. How many stories, how many times did Jesus have to say, unless you forgive, my Father in heaven is not going to forgive you. You do not get to hold it. Period. And it's spoken to you this way. Listen, hear it. Your father has already forgiven you, so you do not have the right not to forgive. That's how he speaks it. Your father has already forgiven you. You don't have the right not to forgive. I don't care what they did. You don't have the right. You are to commit what they did to God and allow God to judge between you and them. Not you. Not to take it in your hands like David wants to. Let it go. It doesn't hurt them. It only hurts you. Let it go. Be forgiving. This is the call that she gives to David. Forgive. Forgive. Because God's going to make you an enduring house. He's going to build a house for you. And indeed, the Lord is going to fulfill that promise. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout all your days. She says, this is not who you're about. David, this is not who you are to come and slaughter these people for calling you names. This is not the spirit of a man after God's own heart. It's not the spirit of a woman after God's own heart. This is not how you learned Christ. It's not who he is. But you don't get to be it. You got to let it go, David. You got to forgive. In verse 29, she goes on, A man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. Who's that? Who's risen? Saul. She knows. She knows what's going on. She knows Saul's trying to kill him and he should be rightly be the king. But the life of my Lord, listen to this, the life of my Lord will be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. You need to repeat that to yourself a few times. Repeat that phrase. The life of my Lord will be bound in the bundle of the living. The life of my Lord will be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. Who holds David's life in his hand? God does. Now who holds yours? Who holds your child's? The Lord does. Who holds that person who done you wrong? God. Your life is bound to the bundle of the living. David's not about who you can slaughter. Why is David going to be stopped from building the temple? God's going to say something specific about his hands. You remember? They're covered with blood. Bible says that the Lord doesn't love those people whose feet are swift to shed innocent blood. Here David goes to shed blood. They, by the way, Nabal's blood is innocent blood. 
Nowhere in the Bible does it say to kill somebody for calling you a name. Right? That's not in First Hesitations 5.5 or any of those places. His, his feet are swift, but God is stopping them. And the lives of your enemies will sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Why do you think she said that? You think everybody knows the story? David and Goliath, right? Did David Remember the day when David said, You uncircumcised Philistine, I come to you in the name of Almighty God. I don't need a sword, I just need a stone. I'm going to flick it at you and thump you in the head and this is all over. So she uses a reference to that event. She uses a reference to that event. Your enemies, like that sling, are going to be slung out from among you. David's going to unite the nation of Israel. They're going to hold the majority of the land that they ever possess in their history under David. 30,000 square miles instead of 300,000 that God promised. But that's going to be during the reign of David. Established during that time. And it will come to pass... When the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, so she knows he's going to be king, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. She says, listen, when you become king, it's going to seem so little, so little. Don't let it be said that you took matters into your own hand to avenge yourself. That's what she's telling him. Don't fight for yourself. Don't we have enough to do in loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? We don't really have time to make a defense for ourselves. So we let God do that. And people say what they say and do what they do. Who cares? When I'm standing with Jesus Christ... And he is ruling and reigning as king, God, and savior. You really think I'm going to be worried about who said what about me? Somehow I think that's going to be small potatoes. Small potatoes in that day. That's what she's telling David. Hey, just let that stuff go. Let it go. And then, but when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Remember this time. Remember me coming and trying to stop you. So David said to Abigail... Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. Oh, now David's coming back around. David says, thank you, God, that you sent her to me. There have been times where the most unlikely person you can imagine calls me at the most inopportune time just to say that right thing that God needed me to hear. And if I had, just push ignore, I wouldn't have heard it. And even though I may pick up the phone and go, oh, you're kidding me. When I, I never know that that's not God sending an Abigail. No matter who the person is, no matter what they have to say. You know God's spoken through donkeys before, right? So he certainly can do it if the donkey's on the other end of the phone. God is able to do these things. We, we just got to have eyes to see, to see the fingerprints of God working in our life and allow God to do that perfect work. Submit it to him, Lord. David says, oh, God, thank you for sending her. 
And there have been a number of times I said that. Someone came in for counseling and I sit down to counsel them and God ends up speaking to me through the meeting that we have and they don't ever know. And it turns out I was more blessed than they were. It probably turns out that way more often than not. But the idea being simple, hey, man, God's here. God's speaking to you all the time. If you have ears to hear, the Lord brings people into your life. He brings people to you because you're faithful to hear, to listen, to reach out, to touch. And the more faithful you are, the more people he'll bring. The more opportunities that will come. David acknowledges the Lord and he says, Blessed is your advice and blessed are you. Because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. The Bible says in Proverbs, a soft answer does what? Turns away wrath, right? Isn't that what Abigail does? She comes and gives a soft answer and turns away wrath. That's what the Bible teaches, and that's what she's doing. Verse 34, Indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. He'd have killed them all. He was set. But by Abigail being obedient to God and the things that God's word lays out, they're delivered from the hands of a man who is supposed to be a man after God's own heart. So that means we're all capable of that kind of stuff, right? We're all capable of that kind of anger. We're all capable of that kind of frustration. And if we're going to overcome it, we have to learn to forgive not only those who have been that way toward us, but ourselves when we've been that way toward others. Let it go. He goes on, David received from her hand what she brought him and said, "Um, Go up in peace to your house. See, I've heeded the voice and I have respected your person. Probably for the first time in Abigail's life. She's been loved for and cared by somebody. She probably never received that from the guy she's out there to save. So you see, it doesn't matter who did what. It doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to do what God wants us to do. To walk like God wants us to walk. Whether they deserve it or not. It's irrelevant. Irrelevant. We're just called to do it. Now Abigail went to Nabal. And there he was having a feast. Like a king. And his heart was merry within him. For he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing. Little or much until morning light. So all this is going on. Nabal's just getting plastered. Having a big old feast. He don't even know Abigail was gone. He's not ever going to tell her thank you. You ever feel like you don't ever get to hear thank you? So? You get a little taste of what it feels like to be God. How many things does the Lord do for us and never hears the word thank you? Thank you, Lord. So we get to, in some small way, participate in the suffering of Christ. When people don't tell us thank you, it doesn't matter. Just do what God is calling you to do. Walk like he calls you to walk. 
Jesus didn't say, if any of you would come after me, make sure you're justified in taking up your cross, following me, and denying yourself. No, he didn't say none of those things. He said, just deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You don't have to be justified. You don't have to be rightly treated. You don't have to be rightly loved. If nobody on earth ever loves you the way you ought to love you, just know this, God loves you that way. And one day when you're standing face to face with him, you're going to be stoked. And you're not going to look back and think, what was that all about? What was that all about? So in the morning, when the wine had gone from Nabal, his wife told him these things. His heart died within him, and he became like stone. What was that verse we were saying? Vengeance is mine, said the Lord, I will repay. God's got a way of doing this better than we do, don't he? It was clean with God. God's just going to get Nabal. Not every male in his house. Is God able? God's able. God's able to do it. He has a stroke, and it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and kept his servant from evil. He's thanking God. God, thank you. I, sh- I should just left it in your hands. I shouldn't have tried to make it about me. Just leave it in your hands. Whatever the Lord does, the Lord does. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. The, D- David said one time in the Psalms, he said, Listen, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I almost lost heart. And then I went into the house of the Lord and I saw his end. Don't lose sight of that. God is able. And the end for someone who's unregenerate before God is so much worse than anything you could ever do or hope to do for anyone. If we really understood the horror of that place... I think we would not be able to stop our mouths from telling people about the love of Christ to turn them away from that abyss. To turn them away from that place. David celebrates the Lord and his ability to deliver. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. Now I don't know that this is all that much better for Abigail, by the way. This is not going to be David's only wife, right? I mean, all the time people think, if I could just switch. I'm sure she's thinking right now, Woohoo, man, I got rid of Nabal and I get David. I'm going to live in a palace. I'm going to have all this cool stuff. And David's going to take another wife. We're going to read about in another verse. And she's going to give birth to his first son. And his first son's going to rape one of his other kids. And then uh, his other son, Absalom's going to kill him. And then there's going to be this... Yeah, it doesn't sound like the dream. She's not living the dream. But she is... She is living life. You know, when, when God took the children of Israel to Babylon as judgment and and life was hard they're in chains having to make this walk to Babylon they're going to be slaves forever you know what God said to them God said live your lives build plant you're going to be there a while live we're still supposed to live life 
okay. Live it. Live it. Just live it God's way through the, through the path that God lays out for you. Doesn't mean all the problems are going to go away. Live. So he proposes marriage to Abigail, and Abigail says, Yeah! Verse 41, she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Man, Abigail is humble. She's got all just a great attitude, super prized for David. Now, if David had married Abigail and stopped, that probably been a good thing. But in those days, men didn't do all that much smart stuff. Well, these days are pretty much like those days, huh? <clears throat> pretty much the same. Um, so Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey and attended by five of her maidens. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel. So both of them were his wives. Now he's got one more back at the, at the ranch, right? That's the next verse. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Now he's got three wives. Michael's been given to somebody else. And that's where she should stay. But we don't always do what we're supposed to do. Or what we should do. But does that change our ability to be men and women after God's own heart? David's just a man. Right? Abigail's just a woman. But a a life willing to surrender to the Lord... Every one of us, you, me, no matter where we come from, where we're going, mistakes we've made or mistakes we're currently making, have the opportunity to be men and women after God's own heart. Just keep God central. Keep your eyes on Him. He'll carry us through. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time, for an opportunity to study your word, God. and. Lord, we thank you for the study of David's life and the struggles he faces and just the, it's real. It's real. We can relate. God, I pray that you help us to learn those lessons, the lessons from David. Lord, that we would want to to follow in the footsteps that lead us on the path that goes to a man or woman after God's own heart, fully focused on you. Not that it means that we won't be perfect. But our heart is always directed towards you. We are listening for your voice. We are poised to do your work. We want to glorify you whenever possible. Lord God, I pray that we would learn the lesson not to be hot-headed, but to let it go. Find the ability to forgive and stay on track with what God is doing in our life. Father, we pray that you would give us, grant unto us the victory. And we do pray for our community, Lord, that you pour out your spirit upon us and upon this place in such a way that you would work the perfect work of revival, that hearts and minds will be turned towards you in these last days that we might glorify you. Father, we give you praise and glory for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in a word of worship.